I love that. I remember those are some of our university students uh, that are here at the church. I remember being a university student, and you could never really get into Christmas until your exams were done. At least I couldn't, because there's always work to be done. And so really getting into the festive spirit was hard. You're worrying about so much things. You're, you know, as I said, they're probably tired um, and hoping they're going to pass and do well and all that kind of stuff. And then there was that moment, I remember, you finish your exams and all the work is done. And there was this very peaceful feeling that kind of, at least for me, uh, finally came over. So today we're talking about peace. And I want to start by asking you this question. What is stealing your peace, or what threatens to steal your peace. At Christmas time, there's a bunch of things. We usually kind of joke about them, but we often joke about the things. Obviously, there's a little bit of truth in all of those things, right? So we joke about, uh, oh, I got to do a family gathering. We got the extended family getting together, and we kind of, oh, this is going to be so stressful. We got to hang out with the in-laws or the people that you, you don't hang out with all the time. Just so you know, every family has somebody that makes you uncomfortable when you gather in those gatherings. If you don't have one, you're it. <laughs> Hate to tell you. Do a little soul searching. Everybody else is like, oh, I got to hang out with that person for Christmas. Um, but some of us, we have those. Maybe you've got it coming up. Maybe you've already got it out of the way. Or in the next couple of weeks, you're going to you're gonna gather with family. Maybe some people you don't uh, always see. It's going to be a little stressful. For some of us, it's the credit card bill. We're already starting to ask, how are we going to pay for all the presents that we've already bought or the budget that is stretching or the expectation that our family or friends have or that maybe we put on ourselves for getting certain gifts and how are we going to pay for it? For some of us, it's work stress. We've already talked about the students who are probably maybe right now, maybe just finished. Many of them are about to finish. Uh, but some of us in our jobs, if you're not a student, you're coming towards the end of the year and there might be projects or things that you want to tie up before the Christmas season, before you hopefully uh, even get a couple of days off or, or just before the end of the year comes and maybe there's some deadlines that you have to hit. Um, of course, there's holiday stress. It's a little bit of a paradox, but there are these great festivities that we want to have. We want to have lots of food and, and maybe gifts and decorations and we want everybody to have fun. But then there's probably one or two people who are in charge of making sure everybody else has fun. And so you might be one of those people and it's just stressful because you're trying to put everything together and make sure that everybody's happy and the food is great and everything's organized and everybody shows up on time and all the stuff that comes with that. And so there's stress. Of course, there's grief even on my drive-in this morning. My drive-in. My drive's like 30 seconds. I love it right there. <laughs> but in 30 seconds, the radio came on and uh, it was just talking about how this is such a tough time of the season because we're all celebrating the wonderful, you know, these, these themes we're talking about of, of hope and joy and love and peace, and yet it's paradoxical because as much as we want to celebrate those things, it's also sometimes emphasizes when we have a lack of those things, when we're missing certain things or certain people, and that can be hard. And so many of us, we struggle at this time of year. As much as we want to come now just a week to Christmas and to celebrate peace, there are many things that threaten to steal our peace. So today in the next few minutes, what I'm hoping is we can all take a collective deep breath and that we can receive a gift today, the gift that is the peace of Christ. And even if we don't see that, uh, even if we don't feel it, that today uh, we might be offered to trust it, to receive it, to accept it. We heard, I think, from one of the, uh, our junior high students read uh, from Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, a prophecy we talked about at Christmas of the Messiah that says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. In Luke chapter 2, I'll read just a few verses of the Christmas story, uh, the announcement to the shepherds century uh, for the Jewish people. Shepherd, shepherds is kind of an interesting, actually, if you read through the, the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, and then into the New Testament here, shepherds are interesting because uh, on the one hand in the Bible, you have um, the greatest king that they would remember, King David, in their history. So many wonderful, he wasn't perfect, he did some terrible things, but he was thought of as this great king that God made these wonderful promises to, and he's talked about as the shepherd king, and they would kind of proclaim that, that he is this, he was a shepherd, and then he became king, and that became symbolic for his leadership and care and protection over his people, Uh, and yet, by the time Jesus was born, and when we read this about shepherds out in their fields and and angels appearing to them, making this great announcement, shepherds uh, would not have, have had any kind of really stand in their world at all. They would have been outcasts. They would have people, been people who were doing a dirty and dangerous job that nobody else wanted to do, protecting sheep. They probably would have been fairly uneducated, uh, not high on the social standing of anything. Uh, again, doing what nobody else wanted to do out there, risking their lives, uh, not making a ton of money or, or uh, being real famous. It's not where you would expect an announcement for the Messiah uh, to come to first before it goes out into the, the world. And that's part of the story is that when God shows up into the world, where does God show up? So much of the Christmas story is that he doesn't show up in a palace. He doesn't show up amongst those who are rich and have everything uh, and are doing really well. Uh, The announcements and even the birth of Jesus come to the humble, to those who don't have much, to those who maybe are very well aware of their needs. And I think that is so profound, especially for those of us who maybe are feeling our own needs physically, materially, spiritually, emotionally, and to just come to the understanding that that is exactly where we should expect to find that God shows up. He shows up to the shepherds. He shows up to the outcasts. He shows up to those who need God and those who probably know that they need God. And the announcement, with all the glory of God in a field to shepherds that nobody else is paying attention to, is peace to those on whom God's favor rests, in those whom God delights in, in those in whom maybe everyone has told them nobody else delights in them, but now we're being told that God delights in them. So peace, what is peace? Let's do just a quick definition. Um, For the Jewish people, the concept of peace or shalom uh, basically means wholeness and well-being. So a lot of times when we think about peace, we think about the absence of war or the absence of conflict. We're not fighting, and that's certainly part of it. Um, But more so than that, shalom or peace is this this kind of overarching wholeness, well-being. It's a sense that things are the way that they ought to be. Everything is okay, that we are, uh, we have what we need collectively as a people. And there would have been many expectations of what peace looks like in the first century, it probably meant for many, as they look forward to the Messiah, uh, an overthrow of the Roman government, who was oppressing the, the people of Israel. Um, it, it, for many of them, ironically, they thought it probably meant violence, that in order to get peace, uh, we would have to fight. That was certainly the Roman way and the way of the world. Perhaps it would mean some kind of purging of evil. We need to get rid of the evil forces that are coming against all that is good so that goodness can be restored. And while we don't live exactly in that context, we still live in a world where we long for peace, we long for wholeness, we long for things to be made right and for us to have the experience of that wholeness and well-being in our lives. So today, uh, just for a few minutes, we're going to ask the question, how can we experience the peace of God? How is it that Jesus offers us that kind of peace? And I think 
It's a real gift to us today. In John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers. Um, He's trying to lead them to the point where they understand that he's going to be crucified, which doesn't make a lot of sense because they've understood him to be the Messiah, who is the one who's going to usher in peace for his people. But again, they would have understood that in he's powerful, he's going to win the day, probably he's going to overthrow the Romans, probably he's going to do something about the religious system uh, that is not functioning the way it should. And Jesus came and oftentimes he's doing things totally backwards from what people expect, that rather than, than rising up a group of people to violently overthrow the violent oppressors, uh, he's teaching them a peaceful way forward. He's teaching them that if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you need to be the least and you need to be the last. These are hard lessons for people to understand. And they say, if we're working towards wholeness, if we're working towards peace, how are those things actually going to bring us to that point? Don't we need to win? Don't we need to be first? Don't we need to be strongest to make sure that we have what we want. And Jesus, again, he's in John chapter 16, trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's going to be crucified, which would have meant for most people, if you thought the leader of your movement was the Messiah, crucifixion, which was a public putting to death, was a loss. It was, our our movement is over. That's why people got crucified. That's why they didn't just throw them in jail or, or even execute them privately. They put them in front of everybody in order to say, if you're following that guy, you just need to know his movement is over. We've crucified him. So stop following. Don't think of any revolution. Don't think of rising up. It's just not going to work. So Jesus is trying to, under, trying to help them understand what the crucifixion is going to mean, that he's going to be crucified, but it will not be the end, that actually his kingdom comes a different way. He says to them in John chapter 16, verse 33, I love this verse, as he's trying to explain those things to him, and they're, they're struggling to get it. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see the contrast. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. In me, you will have peace. And I love that because he doesn't say, things are just going to be easy. It's just so real. In this world, you'll have trouble. But in me, you'll have peace. The world, when Jesus says the world, actually that term in the Bible um, is used a number of different ways. Just like in any other language, we have it in English. Uh, There's a range of meaning for any words. They can mean different things at different times and authors use them in different ways. Uh, And so you kind of have to figure out based on the context and what's going on in each text, uh, what what is they trying to talk about? So the world, what is Jesus talking about when he says you're going to have trouble in the world? Well, the world in, in Greek as it's written could mean at least three things. One, it could mean the physical world or the universe. Uh, The earth, the sky, the universe. Uh, The word is cosmos, so it can mean all of those things. It's not exactly what he means here, but that's one uh, way of talking about it. There's another way uh, the the word is used, world, uh, and very positively, like in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And when he says that, he's talking about people, the people of the world that make up the world. God loves the world. The third way, and the, thing, the way that I think he's using the word world here, is that the world 
refers to systems, whether they be social, political, religious, that operate by their values, practices, and ideas in rebellion against God. So you will see in scriptures a number of times where the world seems to be talking of very negatively. And sometimes people have just referred to that in the first two senses. And they thought, oh, the material world, God's not so concerned about it. Others have thought, oh, God's really mad. He doesn't really like people of the world. But actually what Jesus is talking about when he says the world are these systems that are operating in rebellion to God. So when our lives are running in these systems that are fueled by selfishness, greed, bitterness, injustice, inequality, hatred, that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. And specifically the systems, again, whether it's a political system or a religious system or some kind of social construct that we put together that is fueled by these things that are antagonistic to the things of God, the great of God, the love of God, the holiness of God. And so Jesus, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the world in in this verse. He's saying, you're going to have trouble in those systems. That's what it looks like to live in this world. So again, as we come to Christmas time, there's this paradox because as much as there's so many positive things about Christmas, I think as we celebrate those things or long for those things, it also sort of alerts us to the other side of it. So for many of us, we give gifts at Christmas. Of course, that's wonderful. I love getting gifts. Some people, they go, gifts is all about the kids when you grow up. I don't believe that. I still like receiving gifts. I know it's better to give than receive. But giving, receiving gifts, a beautiful thing. But we as a society, I think most of us would, have, would agree, have made Christmas very materialistic, which means what we find out is there are some people who have so much and it's lavish and there's so many gifts and there's so much money that go around and there's like these huge celebrations and there are other people's People who at Christmas time realize just how little they have. We know this, that the food banks uh, at Christmas time are often overwhelmed with people who are in need. And so we see the two sides of that story, those who have and those who don't. And sometimes there's a great difference in those two. And we just, that, that maybe wells in us, maybe that steals some of us, some of our peace. Again, it's a time for family. We joked about this at the beginning, but we get to be with family. And family is the most important thing to so many of us. We love to be with our family. We want to make sure that we have amazing relationships. And yet, for many of us, we know that there are broken relationships and there's hurt in our families. And so while we want to celebrate and be with families, it also brings up maybe some things from the past or some struggles That kind of steal our peace. Some of us, again, we've got these expectations because we want our celebration to be so memorable and so much fun. And we do, but then we get so busy and we get so stressed out and we get so worried about what other people are going to think and whether everybody's having a good time and whether our cooking's great and whether our gifts are going over well and all the stress that comes with it. And so as much as we want to raise some of these, these things up and celebrate them, also I think sometimes we get the juxtaposition, the things that are so wonderful and bring us peace and the things that often steal our peace. We don't feel at peace at all. Sometimes, I think, again, Christmas time for many of us, we take at least a little bit of time. Everything shuts down. We hope it snows. We hope everything's peaceful. We're not working. Everything finally is good. But then we turn on the news. We go through our news feed, and maybe it bothers you at Christmas time just to understand how much conflict is in the world. It reminds you that there are wars going on. There are people who are struggling. There are people who are refugees and trying to find a place in the world where they are safe. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And we understand that because we live in the world and we experience it. But he says, in me, you may have peace. 
Again, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples about the resurrection. And just before he says, uh, we get to this verse that he, he offers peace, in verse 25, this is what he's trying to explain to them. And he's going to die, which means his disciples are going to be left basically on their own. So this is what he's telling them. He says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming and when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. So he had actually been using the metaphor uh, of, of a pregnant woman. That a pregnant woman, she's about to give birth. Uh, there's a painful part of that in labor, but it's going to lead to something that's even more joyful. And so there's going to be trouble. This is going to hurt, but it's worth it. In the end, you're going to welcome this child. And he's trying to explain them through the metaphor. They're not really getting it. Now he's saying, I'm just going to be straight with you. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name, this is when he's referring to when he's crucified. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This is actually extraordinary what he's telling them. He's getting to the end of his life before he's crucified and he's telling them, now you're getting ready to, to put into practice everything that I've taught you. And you've been asking things in my name and you've been coming to me and I have been trying to teach you that the way I love you is the way that God the Father loves you. And now the time is going to come where physically you're not going to see me anymore and you're going to think, we're on our own. What are we going to do? We would always go to Jesus and Jesus would go to the Father and he's saying, what you have learned by loving me and trusting me, you've loved me and trusted me. You've learned that this is the way. The way that I love you is the way that God loves you. He's telling them that they have access to the Father. Did you get that? He says, I'm not telling you that I'm going to go and, and you're going to ask me and I'm going to ask the Father. Now, there's a whole theological thing in the New Testament how, how Jesus intercedes for uh, Christians, and that is a true thing. It's a little bit different than what he's talking about here. What he's trying to tell them is what we've been practicing and learning. You now have a direct line to God. He loves you. And when you are trusting me and loving me and receiving my love, you are learning what it's like to live in union with God. And you're going to be able to do that. And when you can't physically come to me, you're still going to be able to go to him. It's a remarkable thing. He's saying to them, you can have peace with God. This is what I'm offering you. A reconciliation to come together and to know that God speaks with you. I think he's referring to what he had taught them. We talked about this a few weeks ago in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he uses this metaphor that I am giving you all the spiritual nutrients that you need. And you just rest and, and, and remain. You live in me. You receive in me. And he's saying, I've been teaching you this. And when you were trusting me and loving me, you were learning to trust and love God and to trust that he loves you and that he gives you everything that you need. That's the strength that he wants them to live out. It's the strength found in intimacy with God. Now, we're not at that point specifically where we're literally following Jesus to the cross where he's going to die. We're a couple thousand years from that. But I think the principle remains is that, that Jesus is trying to say, listen, this is what is offered to you. This direct union, this intimate union with God, that you can know peace with him, whatever trouble is in your life, whatever troubles in your circumstances, whatever trouble maybe that you've caused, which is what we call sin. So Jesus, again, after he teaches them this, says, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Think of the trouble in the world. Think of the trouble that's threatening to steal your peace, even right now. 
Things that you say, I can't feel at peace. I can't experience peace. Maybe it's your guilt. Again, maybe it's things you see on the news. Maybe it's just some of the busyness, stress, anxieties of the season where you just feel like there's too much for me to do or I can't fix this or I don't know how to get rid of this guilt. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, be confident, be courageous because I have overcome the world. That which brings you trouble, I have overcome. Because peace does not come from what we have done, but by trusting in what he has done. It doesn't come from, and this is sometimes, honestly, this is me. I I have a hard time relaxing and being at peace if there's things that I think I need to fix. The problem with that is there's always something that has to be fixed, right? Our circumstances, our lives, our families, uh, our jobs, our stress, it's never ever perfect. We're just not there. But that's okay because it's not about what I can do. It's about trusting what Jesus has already done. So today, uh, here's the gift that I want to offer you of peace because in this world, we all have trouble. But in Christ, we can have peace. So I want to offer you to be able to take heart. And uh, the message is going to come through communion. Um, in the seats in front of you, just below, uh, there's this little package. It's got juice on the bottom and a wafer on top. If you want to grab it now, you can. And uh, this is going to be the message because the peace comes from Jesus and what he's already done for us. Done for us. Um, I read a bit of the Christmas story early on, and I want to just point out something that stood out to me. When the angels are announcing the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, remember this is what they say to the shepherd. Don't be afraid, right? Take heart. This is the one who's going to overcome the world. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. Okay, the signs, signs are never the point. Signs always point to something that's greater than them. We all know that. So you look at a street sign, tells you what street you're on. The sign is not the point. It's, I'm trying to find a street. Even the most famous signs, where people actually go to get pictures with the signs, like in Hollywood or Las Vegas, it's still not the point. They point to, this is Hollywood. And as great as the sign is, it's only there because of what it points to. So this will be the sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now here's something Um, that I've learned. When people have a baby, um, afterwards, they always have a bit of a story to tell. Some people are more private than others about the details that they share. But it's usually something like, she woke up in the middle of the night, she was having contractions, and I was freaking out, and we had the go bag, but we got in the car and we forgot the bag, and we got halfway to the hospital, and I said, we got to go back. And she said, no, we're going. And then we, you know, we went back and we got it, and it took this long and all that kind of... And however you tell that story... Or however you've heard those stories told. I've never, ever, ever heard somebody say, and then the baby was delivered, and the doctor checked her out, and the, the baby was in good health, and we laid them in a bassinet. Nobody's ever said that to me. And then we laid the baby in their crib. It's a detail that almost nobody ever thinks about. But in the Christmas story, have you ever noticed? And the baby, they'll lay them in a manger. Why would you put that in? We never talk about manger, a feeding trough, where the animals will go to get what they need, to be fed, to have their nutrients. And this will be the sign. It'll point to the fact that this baby is the one who has come to give us everything that we need, the one that we come to feed off of, 
the one who gives us grace that we need for our lives, the one who will give us strength to endure the trouble of the world, the one who offers us peace through forgiveness with God and peace by loving one another for us as individuals and as the world to move forward. It's a gift. And we get to come to the manger and we get to feast. And that's what communion is about. Jesus would offer his body and give his disciples bread and say, eat. This is your food. This is your spiritual nourishment. This is everything that you need for the journey that God has called you on. And then he gave them wine. And he said, drink. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Everything you need to move forward, to deal with your guilt, to deal with your past, to be reminded that Jesus in his death and resurrection has overcome the world of sin and death, our greatest enemies. So that no matter how much trouble we think we're in, no matter how badly we feel that trouble, Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So we're going to have some soft music in these next couple of moments. Uh, then we're going to sing. In those moments, perhaps you want to take a couple of, moment, uh, a couple of seconds to perhaps confess. Maybe there are things in life that you know are robbing you of your peace and there are things that you've caused. And to find forgiveness in the body and blood of Jesus. Maybe there are things that are out of your control that seem far too big for you to handle. Those are things you can also give to God and in Jesus, even if you don't feel it in this moment, even if you can't see it, to hear Jesus say, take heart. I've overcome the world. So I'm going to pray and then just uh, let you, as, as, uh, as you're ready to peel, uh, first the top, there's a top layer with the wafer and take that. That's the body of Christ given for you. And then the next layer to, to drink the, the juice, uh, that is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And in that, what we do, what the disciples would do when, uh, when they could no longer see Jesus after he was crucified, Paul says, we proclaim the death of our Lord as we await his return. Because one day he will come back. And all those world things that are still causing trouble, he will undrew and make untrue as he restores all things. So our Heavenly Father, today we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for peace that has been made between you and us in the forgiveness of our sin. We thank you for the promise of a restored world. Again, that we see in, in Jesus' willingness to sacrifice himself, but in the power of the resurrection. And today, as we just we move through our lives, I just want to pray for everyone here, everyone watching online. And as those troubling things come to our minds and our hearts, some of those things that weigh very heavily on us, pray that you would help us to take heart and have confidence. Not in what we can do to fix every situation, but what in Jesus has already been done for us. And so we receive your gifts of grace and forgiveness, of mercy and of power. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.